Hello, and welcome back to Pan Am, a podcast about Paris, where we attempt to leave no stone unturned in our quest to delve into its murky past. Today, we are looking at part two of the life, or rather the afterlife, of Voltaire. In today's episode, we shall be heading to the Pantheon, to the Comédie Française, and to the Bibliothèque Nationale to discover the rather incredible posthumous adventures of Voltaire and solve a mystery surrounding his remains. Now, I left you last time at the Hotel Particulier of the Marquise de Villette on the quay of the River Seine on a cold March night. So let us return to that very spot. Following a brief illness, Voltaire lies dead. But because of his well-known criticism of the church and his unsatisfactory confession and repentance, the priest of Saint-Sulpice will not give him a Christian burial. This was something that Voltaire had feared. He had seen years earlier what happens to those poor souls that fall foul of the church. His very good friend and one-time lover, the actress Adrienne Lecouvreur, who, like all actors at the time, and I'm including the great Molière in this, was excommunicated. This means that she was denied a Christian burial as acting was considered far too scandalous a profession for the church to condone. And even though Adrienne was considered by the public to be the greatest actress of the 18th century, and she had fervently wished to have a proper burial, and she had called for a priest on her deathbed, she sadly died before the priest could reach her and give her her last rites. She was therefore unable to be given the last rites and renounce her wickedness, and so she was not allowed to be buried on consecrated ground. Instead, a carriage picked up the poor woman's remains at midnight and, under the cover of darkness, her body was transported to a waste ground on the outskirts of the city and dumped into a pit filled with quicklime in what is now the very chic 7th arrondissement on the corner of Rue Bourgogne and the Rue Grenelle. No trace of her remains were ever found, although some time later, the Comte de Argental, her former lover, put up a plaque with an engraved tribute to her at 115 Rue Grenelle, the Hotel du Sommeret. Sadly, we cannot see it as it was inside, and I think it's not there anymore. Voltaire was horrified by what happened to her, and he did not want to share her fate. So upon his death, the Marquis de Villette acted quickly to ensure that the great man's body would not be dumped and forgotten. He called upon an apothecary to perform an autopsy and to embalm the body. The Marquise, for his part, asked to keep Voltaire's heart, and he let the apothecary take and preserve his brain, which sounds pretty gruesome, but was somewhat more normal at the time. His body was then wrapped up and made to look as if he were alive and stealthily transferred in the middle of the night to be buried in an abbey in the Champagne region. The original plan had been to bury Voltaire by Fernet, which is where he had lived, and his chateau is still there today. But Voltaire's nephew reasoned that Fernet was far too far away to transfer his body without raising suspicion. So the closer abbey of Cellières, where Voltaire's nephew also happened to be the abbot, seemed the perfect solution. Voltaire was then discreetly laid to rest, and by the time Paris and the church found out, it was too late to protest. But what of his heart and his brain? Well, the Marquise de Villette bought the Chateau de Fernet, where Voltaire had lived, and transformed one of the rooms into a sort of shrine. The walls were decorated with 41 portraits of Voltaire's friends watching over his memory. 
The heart was then placed in a reliquary, engraved with the words, Son esprit est partout et son cœur est ici. His mind or his spirit is everywhere and his heart is here. And it was displayed on a velvet cushion on an altar, which does feel a little bit creepy. But his heart would not stay there for long. In 1785, when the Marquis was obliged to sell the chateau, Voltaire's heart was moved about until finally, in 1864, after some legal battles, it ended up in the hands of the government. Napoleon III installed the philosopher's heart in the base of a statue by Oudin in the gorgeous Bibliothèque Nationale in the second arrondissement. And you can still see it there today. Well, the statue, the heart, is hidden away. But of course it was not just his esprit that was everywhere, but quite a lot of the rest of him too. So let's think of his brain. The apothecary kept it proudly on display in a jar on his shelf for many years to all those curious or interested. But after his death, his children, obviously not very attached to this rather peculiar relic, offered it to the French government, who did not seem very interested. In the end, they exchanged it with the Comédie Française. In return for the brain of one of the most popular playwrights that the Comédie Française had ever known and whose work had kept audiences entertained for many years, they got two seats reserved for 20 years. The brain itself was then installed in another statue by Oudin, where it still is today, and just a five minutes walk from the library where his heart is. I cannot help feeling that they should be the other way round. His brain in the library and his heart in the theatre. But that's how it is. So what of his body? Well, poor old Voltaire's adventures were not over. During the revolution, it was decided that Voltaire should receive the honour of being buried in the Pantheon. So off the revolutionaries went to dig up the poor philosopher's remains, who had been comfortable in his grave for some 13 years. On a side note, Voltaire is technically the second person to be buried in the Pantheon, but he's also kind of the first In 1791, during the French Revolution, the actual first person to receive the honour of being pantheonised was Mirabeau. But due to some unfortunate documents that turned up after his death, the revolutionaries decided to chuck him out. The next person deemed worthy was Voltaire. The revolutionaries saw him as a true enlightened thinker. His antagonism of the church and authorities and being thrown into the Bastille fitted in with their own philosophy. But I cannot help wondering that, had he been alive during the actual revolution, if he would have made it out with his head. He loved being at Versailles, was fond of the King Louis XV, and eager to please him. He was close to Madame de Pompadour, his mistress, and he was friends with some of the best people in society. And by that, I do mean the nobility and those who frequented Versailles. He also seemed incapable of not getting into trouble by writing inflammatory stories, plays, poems or pamphlets. I cannot imagine him getting on with the humorless Robespierre or the earnest Marat. And, if that's not enough, people who were close to him or moved in his circles, or at least the descendants of those who did, died in the revolution. Emily de Châtelet, with whom he had lived and had a very, very long relationship, her son actually was guillotined and his son died in prison. But to the revolutionaries, he was a great man. They overlooked his royal leanings and focused instead on his royal criticism. So let us get back to the grisly task of digging up Voltaire. 
Upon opening his tomb, they found that he was missing not only his brain and his heart, but mysteriously, his left foot was gone, maybe taken as a trinket or a trophy. This, sadly, would not be the last body part to part ways with the deceased philosopher. The rest of his body was carefully transported back to Paris and it caused quite a scene. People were desperate to see the new hero of the revolution and despite military protection, a certain Le Maître managed to somehow get close enough to the body in order to steal a tooth, which he then mounted in a pendant accompanied with the inscription Les prêtres encore étant de mal à la terre que j'ai gardé contre eux une dente de Voltaire. The priests have caused so much harm to the earth that I've kept against them a tooth of Voltaire. But that was not the last tooth to be taken. Another tooth was officially gifted to Monsieur Charon or Caron to thank him for transporting Voltaire's remains. And I would just like to pause a moment here. Because if, like me, you have a seven-year-old who's obsessed with Greek myth, then you will know that the ferryman who takes souls across the river Styx to the underworld is also called Charon or Chiron. They're spelt the same. Coincidence? Or is it the same person who's been working all this time, faithfully ferrying the dead? Who knows? Anyway, of all the trinkets to take from Voltaire, it feels especially especially cruel to have taken teeth, considering how he had been plagued by dental problems in life and how few teeth he had left. He had suffered from an inflammation of the gums and lost a number of teeth. He even wrote in a letter to his friend that he went to Berlin with 20 teeth but now finds himself with only 10. Voltaire was very conscious and a little bit embarrassed of his toothlessness and the problems it caused him. He had difficulties enunciating and even eating. He once had to decline Frederick's dinner invitation since he was obliged to, quote, avoid royal feasts for which one needs teeth. Voltaire was also aware that the loss of his teeth made his mouth and cheeks cave in. In 1752, he complained that he, quote, no longer had a face. And you can see in Houdin's famous sculpture that he does indeed look rather sunken. Well, once all this extraction was finally finished, the ceremony could begin. And if his death and burial had been a rather clandestine affair, his reburial at the Pantheon could not have been more different and elaborate. From the book Rest in Pieces, The Curious Fates of Famous Corpses, which I highly recommend, we have this description of Voltaire's second funeral. Quote, On July 11th, 1791, a massive funeral procession honouring Voltaire took over Paris as students, actors, musicians and military men paraded through the streets holding paintings and statues of Voltaire, plus 70 volumes of his complete works. Voltaire's sarcophagus, decorated by a sculpture of the author on his deathbed, was also carried in the procession. But that's not the only account. Others go on to describe the funeral procession being led by cavalry troops, followed by delegations from schools, clubs, fraternal societies and groups of actors from the theatres. Then, workers who were involved in the demolition of the Bastille came and they carried balls and chains that were found in the prison. Four men dressed in classical theatre costumes carried a golden statue of Voltaire. Actors carried banners inscribed with the names of Voltaire's major works. Next came a golden casket containing the recently published completed works of Voltaire in 92 volumes. We're not finished. 
a full orchestra preceded the sarcophagus that was drawn by 12 white horses. The casket was decorated with theatre masks and the statement, poet, philosopher, historian, he made a great step forward for the human spirit. He prepared us to become free. Members of the National Assembly, the Judiciary and the Municipality of Paris followed the procession. It stopped at Opera, at the Comédie Française and reached, finally, the Pantheon around midnight, where he was laid to rest. So after all that, why don't we head inside and pay our respects to Voltaire ourselves? Now you can identify his tomb, as in front of it we can find a statue by, of course, Jean-Antoine Houdin. Voltaire is holding a book and a pen and he's wearing a long sort of robe, almost toga-style outfit. Behind him is tomb made of a sort of reddish marble. Two cherubs stand either side of an epitaph that reads, He fought against atheists and fanatics. He inspired tolerance. He called for the rights of man against the bondage of feudalism. On the other side, poet, historian, philosopher. He expanded the human spirit and taught it to be free. But that brings us to our mystery. Is he even there at all? Now, I've been told and read in more than one respectable book that the remains of both Voltaire and Rousseau were stolen and they remained scattered in a waste ground near Bercy. A deathbed confession of an ultra-royalist supporter, ironic considering how much Voltaire was fond of royalty, claimed that he'd snuck into the Pantheon, prized open the tombs and stolen the bodies. And since scattering the remains of the dead is something the French were very used to, as this is exactly what happened to the bodies of the kings and queens who'd been buried in Saint-Denis, it seems that everyone took him on his word. The story was given more credibility due to the changing uses of the Pantheon. Originally, it had meant to be a church, but during the Revolution, it was turned into a secular mausoleum. When the monarchy were restored, it was a church again, and then back to a mausoleum. So during the time of the monarchy, Charles X had wanted nothing to do with these two philosophers and tucked their tombs in a far-off corner and left them neglected and vulnerable to this kind of attack. It was therefore a full 60 years later that people actually decided to check to see if the two philosophers were indeed missing or not. On the 18th of December, 1897, a hushed crowd gathered to finally find out the truth. Carefully, the sealed tombs were prized open one by one. The crowd held its collective breath. Marceline Berthelot, a chemist and, interestingly, a future dweller himself of the Pantheon, reached into the tomb and pulled out the skull of Voltaire, holding it up to the public as irrefutable proof that the remains were still in place. Apparently, all present agreed that the skull still resembled the philosopher. Rousseau was also found to be safely in his tomb. So you'll be glad to hear that finally, over a hundred years since his death, Voltaire was finally laid to rest and, as far as I know, has not been disturbed since. Peace at last. Mystery solved. But his adventures, or at least that of his likeness, are not quite over. Just one final anecdote, which brings our story satisfyingly full circle. During World War II, in an attempt to protect the Houdin sculpture of Voltaire sitting, the one that we can see at the library and a copy at the theatre, and in order to keep it safe from the Nazis, it was sent away and hidden, you'll never guess where, in the crypt of the Saint-Sulpice. So finally, we could say Voltaire was buried, after all, at Saint-Sulpice. 
That's it for now. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, then be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you'd like to support the show, then tell a friend or even better, leave a review as it really makes my day. You might also consider becoming a patron because it's thanks to their kind and generous support that I'm able to keep the podcast coming. And of course, thank you as ever to Christopher for his hard work and incredible sound design. You can find links to his works in the show notes. As usual, pictures on my websites and Instagram. Take care. Bye bye.